You're listening to episode 46 of the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Hey, we're Sub Radio. You're listening to the Musicpreneur Mindset Podcast. Here's your host, Suze, founder of the Rockstar Advocate. Hello, you're listening to episode 46, nine Musicpreneur Lessons for 2019. I'm your host, Suze, a mindset coach helping DIY musicians and creatives see themselves as musicpreneurs in order to create a sustainable career in music. To ring in the new year, I wanted to take a brief look back at some of the musicpreneurs I've had the honor of interviewing on this podcast. Each month, I've sat down with a band or solo musician to discuss with them their experience so far in building a sustainable career in music. We've discussed everything from income streams to daily routines to certain mindsets that have carried them through the ups and downs of this business. I want to take you through the last nine interviews that I've done so far, highlighting what I feel are the most important takeaways and lessons learned of each. I can share with you my expertise on certain subjects, but when it comes to knowing exactly what it's like to walk in the shoes you're hoping to one day fill, it's best to heed the words of those who have already worn them and worn them well. First up, our theme music songbirds. You hear them introduce me each week with their infectious pop melodies, Sub Radio. These guys have been playing together for over 10 years, and in episode 13, I asked them how they've come to build this band into a sustainable business. Here's what they had to say. Uh, I think for a long time, we've had to look at it like from both sides, like from the business side and the music side. I know I'm definitely like the first person to be thinking about like what our next step is. I mean, I do a lot of songwriting, too. We all do. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a balance. I don't know what you guys' take on that is. Yeah, the, the business side is, uh, frankly, something we didn't consider like as, as a unit for a long time, I think. We were like making merchandise without any sort of end goal as to like what our profit is going to be and what our margin is going to be. And we were kind of writing and recording songs without a, without a ton of direction like for years. And so now we're after after going through all of that and and uh, discovering what a pitfall that is. <laughs> uh, we have we've learned from that, and we're we're really trying to like run the band as a sustainable like small business with like a sizable income that is like large enough to support all of the endeavors of the business. Uh, and beyond. So like, as it stands today, we all have day jobs, but our day jobs, like fund us as human beings, (laughs) they, uh, our money from our day jobs does go a little bit into funding the band, but for the most part, the band is like self-sustaining and is growing in capital, (laughs) which is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, it's taken a long time and it's taken a lot of work and we're still learning. Yeah, uh, it's it's scaled up since day one. Like the amount yeah. we earned has gone up, so we've been able to spend more on the business too. Right, which has been great. You know, we've been able to pay for things like I mentioned before, PR, and like new merch and like new CDs and all that stuff is coming out with the singles, and it's all coordinated now because we actually have meetings to talk about it. So it has it has yeah. been good. We we are kind of fortunate that we kind of just backed into a good structure where you know we've got Matt who is sort of like over time taken on the role of like sub radio business manager. And then sort of like we've all slotted into our separate support roles of like what we handle. That's not music. And we didn't, we, we didn't really have a focused discussion about that until very recently, but it was always stuff that we were all doing. And so, 
you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a good model for other people or not, <laughs> but like, uh, it was, it was, it was something that we sort of discovered as it went and then it happened to work for us. What I loved about that interview was that for a band with six members, they've really worked out a way to delegate roles and each member holds their own when it comes to building the shared vision. Thanks guys for sitting down with me for my first interview. Up next, Zach Golden, one half of Broken Luxury, talked with me in episode 17 about their experience growing a brand that is focused more on their message and less on the vanity metrics. Rather than going for the quick wins, he talks openly about their vision for longevity and the impact they want to have and what it means to him to be a DIY musician. Take a listen. I think a lot of the things that we were thinking of how we wanted everything to be in, to be brought forward as Broken Luxury, I think a lot of it is uh, intrinsic. For stuff like, you know, even like social media, most of the time we'll run past ideas, or at least when we were first starting to post and everything, or starting to find more of what we wanted Broken Luxury to be, especially with how this album is. We started to dive into, okay, what type of pictures should this be? We absolutely want them to be artistically done. We don't want them to be as if we're taking this as a joke. We want to make sure that it's represented in a way that shows what the music will be when you listen to it, uh, which is consistently a learning process, but switching to kind of black and white, making minimal statements in our in our pictures and like those statements, uh, not really focusing on hashtags, although I understand the importance of hashtags because they do get you out to more places. It's just we believe in the integrity of the organic nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, an organic build that were, that was just people who were seeking something and they know what it was until they heard it. And that takes very long time and that is not an easy road. Right. Somebody who I consistently look up to um, in that regard is Anderson Pock mm-hmm. and the Free Nationals who they've been playing together for over a decade, working it just like any other person who understands the feeling of what it's like to feel like a local band for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And you never know when that break is going to come or if it will, but that's not why you end up doing it. If you're searching for that, it won't come. Mm-hmm. And when it does, it will be a flash in the pan mm. because you need to find the happiness in the moments of the building, building everything around that to get to that moment and or hopefully get to that moment. And so those type of artists are the ones that I think both Josh and I look up to because we're not massive on selling ourselves. I know that most artists are not like that because they believe in the artist artistry of the music but i guess we're selling ourselves on not being big on selling ourselves and that's the big point no exactly i mean i think it's important you're going to do it your way and it's not going to be because of trend or hashtag that works this is you guys and if you want to hop on board that's great i feel great about doing doing things diy like you know i'm happy that that we aren't signed i'm happy that we own our own publishing Mm -hmm. um which definitely make sure you have your own publishing company because that's just money left on the table. Otherwise, when you do that DIY ideal and you're doing everything, then you understand how everything gets done. So then once your team starts to grow, which whether it be you can hire somebody because you can finally afford it or it's just, you know, people that find you or friends who are just like, yo, I just want to be a part of this. I want to help, you know, make this happen then you you're able to like delegate and uh, in a legitimate way instead of being like uh, i don't know right. because <laughs> they're looking <laughs> to you you know they're the anybody who works with us is lo- are looking to to josh and i to to have the vision of how how we want broken luxury to move forward i love how he and his partner josh take ownership of their vision and understand that at the end of the day they are the decision makers which isn't always an easy role but a vital one Thanks for sharing with us, Zach. 
My third spotlight was such a thrill for me, Sypha Sounds, someone I've spent years listening to on the radio and have had the distinct pleasure to work with. He agreed to sit down with me and shed light on what it's been like for him to carve a completely new path in this industry and be successful at it. He is someone who creates his own opportunities and never loses sight of the fact that while this is his path, no one gets there alone. He's got such a positive and healthy mindset around this business, and I have no doubts everything he sets out to do will be accomplished because of that mindset and his incredible talents. Let's listen back to episode 20 and what he had to share with us about sustainability in this industry. I never treat myself like the talent, so I think that helps a lot because I do like to be in the spotlight when it comes to like either before back in the day it was a lot of DJing now it's a lot of DJing and comedy um, but I do it because I love it not because I want to get famous from it so I don't know I not that I feel like a fraud but I definitely don't feel like I never like being treated like the talent I like being treated like a businessman who also has this skill you know what I'm saying um, so that helps a lot that automatically cuts out my ego um, and cuts out the uh, you know the way people have to treat a celebrity or a star um, and I do it to the extreme because I never want to be looked at as like this kind of like celebrity but I think some people don't do it at all and I think they have to like know that they're their name and their reach as an artist is in, in, not a facade, but it's like your storefront. Right. And you want to keep your storefront clean and washed, but the, the numbers are in the back. You know what I'm saying? So I think people only pay attention to the front. I never understand artists who bitch about doing promo tours. You know, I'm like, oh, we're not getting paid for this. We got to go to da da da. Like, yeah, that's how you meet the people so that in two years from now, it goes smoothly, you know? So I think they need to put some of that business sense into their, um, into their daily activity. Now, if you have business people that do all that for you, fine, but make sure you're listening to them. You know what I'm saying? Instead of like always fighting your manager or your publicist or your your agent on what you should be doing. Like, I'm not saying do everything they do like a slave, but like know that there's a business to what you're doing. And here's what he had to say about building his team. I'll say first and foremost is like vibe energy. Yeah. Instantly. Like, if I don't want to hang out with you, I really can't work with you. Because yeah. our job, a lot of our job is hanging out. Um, where back in the day, I was forced to have to work with people I didn't like. And now that's very rare. Like, unless it's like a big gig or somebody else is there. Um, but also, like, I don't... Like, this... I like... I love doing improv comedy and I love doing stand-up. I like improv a little bit more... Only because it's a team sport as opposed to stand-up, which is a solo sport. So I kind of like the team thing because, I don't know, I just, I don't like saying I. I like saying we. So um, everything with me is team. And like it's our show, we're going to win, you know, and um, improv is all about that. And I like helping other people shine. I can't expect everyone to be me, mm-hmm. but I just need people to be on time. Yeah. If you say you're going to do something, do it. 
and be reliable, dependable. Now, what that means is if you can't show up, let me know you can't show up and just not just not show up yeah yeah so like stuff like that and it's just like communication you know we have a big thing with loyalty and trust but that is that takes time to see and you can see who's still around and who's who's not around you know i I have a problem with this because i want everyone to be how i am and everyone's not how i am but like somewhat close to my standards of punctual and communication i love that so much communication is key And at the end of the day, the music industry is a business like any other, and those who can show up and do the work are the ones who will outlast those who think it's one big party. Thank you, Saif, for that insight, and many congrats on all the new successful projects you've created over the past year. In episode 24, I spoke to Leslie Barth, a singer-songwriter who had literally just quit her day job when we sat down to discuss her next chapter. She shared openly about her recent transition and the structure she needed to create to keep going. Check it out. I do think it was intentional and I'm very thankful that my boss and the company was really on board with that. You know, people who are good at their jobs have more control in those situations than they feel in the moment. But every few months I had to check in with my, with my boss be like, okay, how's this working for you? How's this working for me? For me, it happened like in a day, basically. And I've obviously been thinking about this for a few years. Like another annoying response to that is like, I just knew. Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) No, but it's true. You have to trust your gut. Yeah. I just knew. And I think the reason that I knew is because I realized I felt like I was no longer getting out of it more than I was putting in. I feel like I'm just at a pivot point and I want to like put all my weight behind it. You know, because when you're burning the candle on both ends and when you're in a day job that's maybe not your dream and you've got this other thing on the side, it's easy to feel like, uh, screw you guys. Like, this is, this doesn't work for me. Like, I don't want to just be a cog in your machine. Like, I don't know. It's easy to get into that yeah. mindset, but yeah. like, they've been good to me. Mm-hmm. I, you know, was able to take the sleep because of this company. And what it really does come down to is has nothing to do with the job. Mm-hmm. has nothing to do with the company. It has right. to do with what I want. And right. so I made it about me. Right. And they got to pay the role 50% and get out of it like, of what they were getting. So kind of a win-win. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You showed them the opportunity. Yeah. And I I think that's really important. You had mentioned wanting to find a routine and having a little bit more structure around your day now that you're full time. You know, when you said you just felt it, you knew that you wanted to leave your day job. Do you feel like certain practices like yoga um, or even meditation, do you feel like you're in tune with listening to your body? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I get out of it is just being a little bit more present Mm -hmm. and a little bit more mindful and getting out of my head a little. I did yoga in college and everything. And I think for me, then it was just like a workout. I did not get that Mm -hmm. other side of things. (laughs) And then when I had an injury um, two years ago, I kind of eased back into stuff with, with yoga and especially after not being able to kind of run or swim for a while, just getting like feeling present in my body and managing some of the stress I was going through. I was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I need to do this every day. Yeah. So that'll definitely be a huge part of my routine. Such an inspiring episode about transitions and how she and her husband, who is also a full-time musician, learn from and support one another. Thanks Leslie for those lessons. Up next in episode 28, I interviewed James Devine, a professional musician and music teacher. He shed some light on what it was like to realize you should never play for free and what that really means. 
I actually went to a speaking workshop and the presenter said, never speak for free, even when you do. And that was confusing at first. It's like, well, what do you mean? You just said never speak for free, even when you do. And he said, always have a purpose in what you're what you're doing. So if you're going somewhere and you're playing for free and it's because you want to, maybe you really love the organization and this is just your way to contribute. Everybody is giving their product for free or, you know, the accountant is donating their time, the lawyer is donating their time, and this is your, just your donation, but you've chosen to do this, then that's one thing. You see a lot of ads for people wanting musicians and they'll say, you know, you'll get, Exposure. That's always the the word I hear. And I hate that word because I have rarely seen something come of that where supposedly you're going to get a lot of exposure. So that's one thing with the the playing for free. Make it mindful. Don't just do it because someone asked you or because you think you're not going to get any other gig. The other thing that I learned is that when you play for something beneath your pay level, your pay grade, so to speak, then you're stealing that from somebody else. This is this was a really big insight for me. So for example, a lot of these coffee house things, I was earning like $20, $10, I think even $5 one time, despite telling people, you know, there was a good audience there. And despite telling people this is the only income the musician is making, what I figured out is those gigs are good for someone who's in high school or someone who's a young college student. Because when I was that age and I earned five or $10, I felt really good. And even if I gave up a Friday night, even if I was on at 2 a.m. and they gave me 10 minutes, but they paid me $10, I felt really good and really valued. And that was sometimes, you know, the, at one point it was the first time I got paid for playing mm. when I was 16 or 17. So those, those gigs are important for some people. But at the point I was earning those 10, 15, $20, I had already been in the army band for 10 years. I was a professional musician and I was stealing those gigs from people who needed them like the college students and the high school students. Thanks, James, for that insight. It's so important to be able to be honest with yourself about the value of your time and talents and to be brave enough to not say yes to something that you feel isn't a fair trade for either one. When I sat down with Cheryl B. Englehart in episode 32, we discussed the importance of building out various income streams and how, as a musician, certain streams are born out of necessity and sometimes they're built the long and hard way, trial and error. Take a listen to how she began diversifying her income. I feel like for a very long while, I felt kind of lost. And I was thinking just about performing. Um, luckily, I had gotten into a street performing gig in Boston. And that anytime I went, I would make a couple hundred dollars in a few hours. It was really awesome, like busking. You know, I had a couple things that I, I knew if I showed up, I'd be able to turn that into income. Mm. So I started looking at like, what were those? And like, how could I get more of them? House concerts became one of those things. And then I started to think, oh, maybe I want to do freelance composing. Maybe I want to, you know, set up my own system and start doing that. And it kind of happened organically where I got, uh, you know, I just got in touch with my editor friends, people that were editing the commercials. And I would give them my CDs and say, hey, if you need any temp music to, you know, put on a track on a cut that you're working on, hopefully 
maybe it will stick. And that is exactly what happened. And I got some, started to get some licenses. I started talking to some other people about licenses and I was like, Oh, licensing is a thing that my music is good for. Cool. Like TV shows and commercials and commercials that I'm not scoring, but actually just giving my songs for my records to. So it started to make sense a few years in, but it took a while. And I wasn't focused on like, I need to now diversify my income portfolio. Like I wasn't <laughs> thinking like that. And I, if someone had told me that that was a thing, I would have been like, that sounds like a good idea. Like, let's get some actions. It was, I was very much like throwing spaghetti to the wall and like, let's see what sticks. And a lot of it was not sticking. And it was just a big waste of spaghetti. <laughs> Oh, oh that's, no. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons, honestly, that I do talk at conferences and I've put together some courses and I do some one-on-one -on -one coaching with musicians because there are a lot of really clear actions to take if you know what you want. And it, it can take years to actually get to that and know what all the options are and, or at least some of the options that are in line with what you want and what your brand is. And uh, I think I got, I started to see like my biggest shift when I first got a career coach and was like, what? There's the, I could be doing this in way less time. Right. So I just feel like, oh my God, they're like, why is this not in music programs at schools? Why is this not like, why aren't music industry people talking about this? Why are record labels not talking about their programs that do like, I just, I was sort of like mind boggling that it was like this hidden thing that you have to figure it out on your own and it could take decades. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm not. After two years, I was like, okay, now what? <laughs> I love her candidness and her ability to see the need to take action to either build something new or pivot when necessary. Thanks for those lessons, Cheryl. In episode 36, I did something different and sat down with two different artists who had formed an accountability pact. Thanks in part to Cheryl, as you'll hear. Karina Karina and Lauren Kelly Benson artists with two different sounds and in two different places in their career, explain how they hold each other accountable and what that's meant to each of their journeys. Lauren and I, we met through Willie Green. We are both um, artists who have done a lot of work with him. And I sort of knew of her and met her at a few various events. We both have um, exes who run in similar circles, went through uh, pretty hard times when it came to that. So that was like the first thing we related on. We're both yoga teachers and practitioners. And I left New York for a couple of years. But before I left, I think we were pretty cool. And, and it was always kind of like this joke about like, damn, we have a lot in common, like shit. And then I left for a couple years and came back, and she's been the greatest gift I've had since I came back. And um, this accountability thing has just been – I've been in a 12-step program for a long time, and I liken it to sponsorship. It really, really has been transformative for me. I know that a mutual friend of all ours and a former guest of the Musicpreneur Mindset podcast kind of spurred this on for you. So tell us about that. Yeah, so at the – Musicpreneur conference, I met Cheryl and I was like in the middle of the writing process and knew that I was arriving at a place to like dive into music as career. So I did a group with her. The work with her was, I want to say, over six weeks and, and meeting weekly and all these tools and all this information. And then at the end, she was like, now continue this work and find someone who can hold you accountable and who you can hold accountable and someone who has similar goals and who you can trust. And, and I immediately thought of Karina. So we use Cheryl's template for accountability, which is three areas of our life and top three priorities of the week in that area of our life. 
And so Karina and I basically chose the things that we have in common as the three areas. So we do our second chakra, which is hippie grown-up stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the seat for the hippies out there. That's the seat of creativity and also abundance as far as money and also sexual dating life stuff. So, so that encompasses a lot for us. Um, me and Karina are close enough that we can share like in that area of our life. What else? Health, which we both do physical and mental health when it comes to that area of our life, and then our music career. So every week we have nine things, three in each category, that we tackle in those three areas of our life. And it's, yeah, it's been really super helpful to me. Sometimes I pinch myself that I found someone like Karina, who is very, when Karina writes it down, it gets done. So it's, it holds me accountable in a way of really watching her get through her list. I think I'd come to the table a little bit more sometimes like, I didn't do that one, but I'll write it down again this week. But yeah, it's been a really grounding process. We meet once a week and yeah. I loved this episode and I know many listeners were inspired by their journeys as artists and the beauty of their friendship. Thanks, ladies, for a great talk. As my first interview in Season 2, I sat with Tommy Docker in Episode 40 to discuss the musicpreneur movement that he has had a large role in and what it is that inspires him as a musician to share what he's learned with others rather than keep it all for himself. Take a listen to what he had to say. I guess the, the short answer is uh, because I care, um, because I want to make sure that um, some other people could learn from what I failed about or what I learned that work um so I guess is that um I wanted to share things because why keep it for yourself why not make this world a better place by getting more people to do things that work for them and maybe they can have a better life so that was the the initial reason um I'm always thinking about my mission in this world and what I'm doing. And, and I'm the, the most privileged person, all right? I'm a white uh, man in the Western world. Like, oh, my gosh, what a privilege. So when I'm thinking about this, and I'm telling my brother as well that is now an entrepreneur too, like we've, we've got a responsibility for everything we have. We're not from a rich family, but we never starved. We never had anything against us. Like, oh, my gosh, what a privilege this is. And we should do what, whatever it takes to actually make this world a better place, leave some legacy. I want to make sure that um, it's, this, this world is better for our children, for everybody else. And then that's, that's why you will see that in everything that I'm doing, I'm always trying to be a little bit um, more open, share a little bit more, and uh, be more charitable. It's, I, I care. I think it would be unfair if, if we kept everything for ourselves. So all these, these goodies, the things you're learning, the things, the people you come across, like why not share it, connect people? Why not make the world a better place? So it's not a thing that I, it's a fetish of mine. I want to be huge and then my name will over and, you know, become the next. <laughs> no, just it's human beings around the world suffering. So if I can do one thing well, which is music and, uh, and, and teaching, I, I want to make a difference with that, not just be good at it and then have a salary and then you know, have a family and then that's it. So I've sacrificed a lot of things to, to, to reach that level where I would not think of like, this is my project, this is about me. No, I mean, now it's about the world. So whatever I'm doing, I'm just trying to think of the impact that this will have in the whole world. And if this makes sense or if it's a, it's a you know, like <laughs> stroking my ego or something, and I want to make sure it's, it's about others. And um, if, if I end up having some global influence, I want to make sure I put good use to that influence. 
because this way there's no you know assholes being out there and known by millions of people and saying things that don't make sense you know what i'm talking right. about i mean we've seen right. people like this right <laughs> Yes, we all know a few too many of those people, but thanks to people like Tommy, we know a few less. Last but certainly not least, we've come to my latest spotlight, my sit-down with advocate and artist Cassandra Kabinsky. In episode 44, we discussed her many passions and projects she's built throughout her career and how she breaks boundaries as a musicpreneur independent from a label. Most recently, she went on a world tour and she shared some insights with us about it. One a simple directive. And my directive was, uh, I will go where I have friends who have wanted me to visit them. That's pretty much it. You know, like I have friends who have left the U S or whom I met in the U S who don't live here, who have said for many years, come to Thailand. I can totally help you get shows come to Australia. Like I totally be able to help you set up some shows. So the trajectory went from the global right. music conference Medem at um in Cannes in France. I started there in June and then I flew to Romania mm-hmm. where my husband is from and um was in the capital city of Bucharest and played a benefit for autism there where we raised enough money to send 10 children through 10 hours of therapy. So that was really exciting. And then we flew to Thailand and I did a a handful of shows, I think three shows at various restaurants and hotel rooftop bars there. Made a little bit of money. I mean, we're not talking like tour supporting money, but this was like part, this was not, this tour particularly was not really about making money. It was about like doing it to do it. So Thailand, then we went to Malaysia and I played a show there, a smaller show, like an open mic feature. And then we flew to Australia and I did two shows there, one house concert and one show in a more proper cabaret venue. So yeah, I mean, all in all, it was, it was 30 insane days, uh, you know, or possibly even like 29, but we were away for just about a month. And it was, I I mean, I look back on it and I'm like, we are first of all crazy. Like I don't recommend going that many places in that short amount of time if you're putting it all together yourself. (laughs) But it was really illuminating first of all, from the perspective of coming back. And then like, that was a boundary that had been broken. Like for me as a performer, I had felt before, like you don't just pick up and go, you don't just like go somewhere unless you have like a big giant plan and you're going to make money and all of that. And it kind of showed me like there are other things to be gained. There were, there was so much richness in the experience again, of connecting with people through music. It was very humbling Um, And also very uplifting to see people respond to me as an artist and to my music in different countries and also to like see them not respond, you know, and to like realize that maybe there are certain venues where like I don't want to play and I don't want to be a bar band. Like that's not what I want to do. And I'm doing that right now and it feels bad and I don't like it. So that's something that for me personally is not going to play into my further plans. It was very eye-opening and definitely boundary-breaking. Like everyone I've had the pleasure of interviewing, so much of what Cassandra has done has been boundary-breaking. I want to thank all of the guests I've had on so far for sharing their wisdom with us and being open enough to also share the roadblocks they've had to overcome to gain that wisdom. I look forward to all the future spotlights to come, and I thank you for listening. I hope this roundup has inspired you to break some rules and rewrite your own as you forge ahead as a musicpreneur. There isn't a blueprint for this stuff, so roll up your sleeves and get to building your vision as you see it. You'll learn as you go what needs remodeling. 
Here's to a rockin' 2019. I'll be back next week with some more inspiration and rock sources to help you on your path to success, whatever that might be for you. Be sure to check the show notes for links to all past spotlights and to my 2019 Rockstar Life Planner if you're looking for some more structure and reflection in your life. If you're looking to figure out your next steps, find time to balance everything on your plate, or work on building your own blueprint, let's talk. Email me at any time, suz, S-U-Z, at therockstaradvocate.com. Until next time, Rockstar, have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you back here next week so we can get grounded to get rising. Take care.